Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Survive and Thrive, a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how in changing times, leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but also thrive. I'm your host, Jennifer Ayers. In this season, our third season, we want to help our listeners learn how to positively influence the change they want to see in their organization, how to minimize the disruption that can occur when changes happen in an organization, and even normalize the concept that change is usual. We plan to do this by exploring the various themes we covered in our last season to drive meaningful, impactful, and sustainable change. We've invited various professionals to our podcast and to ask them about their perspectives and stories on what they have found works and what doesn't work. Today, I'm very happy to have Janet Ramey with me. Janet is the principal of Sourcing Change, They are a company that is helping enterprises drive transformation by designing, counseling, sourcing, and connecting with the talent necessary to drive that change. I'm going to let Janet say a little bit about herself and her background, and then we're going to dive into a subject we're both passionate about, which is helping organizations navigate change through positive actions. Take it from here, Janet. Thanks, Jen. I'm so glad to be here with you today. It's a privilege because I now live what I consider to be a portfolio life. It includes the consulting with sourcing change, the executive search. I also serve as a research fellow, do board service and volunteering. And I came to this place through a long career in tech, working for both IBM and Cisco. My career started in product development and moved through technical support and global business services. I've been privileged to work across the world in Latin America, emerging markets. I've lived in Asia twice, and it's given me such an appreciation for how widely distributed both technology adoption and the talent that supports it are. And I try to bring those experiences into the clients and teams I work with today. Wow, that's awesome. I don't think I knew that you lived in Asia, and I'm curious, where did you live? We lived in Asia twice as a family. The first time I was based in Sydney, Australia for three years and working across the region. The second time, more centrally located in Singapore. Wow, that's very cool. I had an opportunity to live in Japan twice. Having lived and worked across the world, I asked Janet what it's been like for her to lead change and help leaders do the same. When I think about leading change, I've had multiple experiences. But the one I might highlight was the last time I was in Asia, we had some major organizational changes that were happening across the company, across the services organization, and across the region. There were several gaps in leadership. So bringing together people who were geographically distributed, as well as reporting up through different lines and structures, yet still maintaining focus on our customers and partners who were our reason for being in the region, supporting the company. Keeping those three things in balance was a real challenge. I had just moved into the region at this time. And as I mentioned, there were several other leadership gaps. So I ended up having to step across the lines of business to work with our sales teams, with our product engineering teams, as well as with our service delivery teams to help bring people along to orchestrate the changes that needed to happen as we reorganized along different geographic lines and different business lines than we had in the past. What I learned through that experience 
was that it's really important to listen and then to communicate often to people to respond to what they're perceiving, what might be true or what might just be fear-based about why the changes are happening, how it affects each person individually or each group individually. And then what are some of the opportunities that you can help people draw out of that change? That was really important. And to do a lot of it as much as possible face-to-face in those environments, despite the distances and distributed teams, really made a difference for us. Janet has navigated change with teams all over the world, as she has said. The guest on our previous episode, Maria Yanoshikova, underwent something similar. If you haven't listened to that episode, I recommend you go back and check it out. For Janet, she's helped leaders help their teams navigate change. She tells me about the challenges leaders face in particular and how to overcome them. There's so many challenges, but I think at the highest level, you have to think about change from two perspectives. It's an opportunity and a threat. The opportunity can engage and excite and inspire people to lean into the change. But for some people, they need to be reminded of the threat, the threat that they will be left behind or made obsolete if they can't move with the change. So it's a very careful balance as you're looking at the composition of the team going through change. Now, working in the tech industry, as I have for so long, it's really easy to draw upon the common examples that everybody knows. So if we think about how Netflix overtook Blockbuster in the delivery of what are now streaming movies that used to be either discs or tapes you rented from a physical location, right? Or how the digital camera obsoleted film and basically took out an iconic company like Kodak. Those are just two of many examples, reminding people that maybe the change we're going through isn't as large a business model shift or as iconic an event as those, yet there's still that opportunity that lies ahead to move things faster, better, more agilely, more reliably at scale, to deliver different outcomes than were ever possible before. But the threat is, if you don't move, you may not survive. Even the most likable leaders will face resistance when presenting change to their team. Change can be scary, and humans often have a knee-jerk reaction to it. However, when taking the proper steps, leaders can help guide their team through that resistance and hopefully reach the other side together. Resistance is built into the way we work. I used to work with a great leader, Joe Pinto, who used to say, if you think you like change, Try getting your significant other just sleep in the other side of the bed. It's such a simple example, but go ahead and try it. It feels wrong. You don't know where you put your glasses if you wear them or your iPhone, right? You roll to the wrong side. Maybe you don't have any covers, at least initially. Change is hard. So I think the first thing is to know that it's natural. Nobody likes to be changed. People don't mind changing, but they don't want to be changed. Helping people understand the benefits and the threats and the need to change, and also listening and and helping people understand, well, if you don't want to go on the change with us, 
Here are the options that are available to you. Those are approaches that I think are the fairest to help people make informed choices about how they move through the change because the change is going to happen. Oftentimes in a large enterprise organization, there's not only money on the line, but other outcomes that are very important to different stakeholders or even customers and partners of your business. Moving through changes first, understanding how it impacts each person or each stakeholder individually, and not assuming you know, but actually asking and then listening in between the lines of what they're saying. If you can build a trusted relationship, people will tell you what they're afraid of, what their worst case scenario for this is, or how they might personally benefit and you can help them. If you know those things, you can better tap into how they can be part of the change and how you can support their success through whatever change it is you're advocating. And that sounds so simple, but it's often overlooked because it takes not listening once, but developing that rapport, that trust, and that relationship so that you will hear over time what really matters to people and how you can partner with them so that you both win in the change. It sounds trite, but if you can't find something that's a shared outcome that you both care about, then basically it's like pushing a rock uphill to get another team to come along with you. Thinking about Janet's experience, she has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And well, I want to hear about the good times. She tells me about the times leaders have successfully led their teams through change to reach a positive outcome. From an actions perspective, It's so important. And again, so much easier said than done. You've got to be aligned at the top of the leadership ranks. The stakeholders have to have a level of alignment and communicate with the same messaging to their teams. Otherwise, what you get is teams working at cross purposes or trying to second guess how to keep their leader happy, which may or may not be moving in the direction that say, the company and the overall program needs to go. That's really where it starts, is getting that leadership alignment. And when you lead a large-scale transformation, something that has both an operating model implication as well as several systems, you know, you end up cutting across the COO of the corporation into the finance team, the IT team, and in the case that I'm thinking of, also the human resource team, the chief human resource officer. And getting those constituents aligned on the outcomes when they all have very different carabouts and drivers is something that I found challenging, but essential. So that you have a program that touches every employee that's important to the managers, that hits your finance line, transforms your IT and matters to your operations, you've really got to get them all on the same page. I couldn't agree more with you. The success of any initiative, any movement through change, whether planned or unplanned, starts at the top and starts with alignment with the leaders. And I think this is personally one of the pieces that is often overlooked or assumed to be in place. And it's not until later when things start to go sideways where there's discoveries on just the significance of the impact around the lack of stakeholder alignment. That alignment is key. If you can't get alignment across the board, 
The change won't happen really in the way that you desire. So how can you make sure that there's alignment within an organization? Again, this all sounds so simple, but there's this constant listening, being in listening mode at multiple levels, not only those touch points with your stakeholders and your integration partners and the vendors who are part of the change, but the project team and the delivery teams. Because if you do that virtual walking of the floor and listen to what's top of mind for people, what concerns are coming out, what misperceptions there may be, you can get a sense of how what's agreed at the top of the house is being heard and translated into the teams who need to make the changes and do the work. And the better you can keep your finger on that pulse, the better you can manage disconnects between the teams and keep a focus on the shared goal. And you can identify those things that maybe are or are not being reported back up through the ranks that are going to derail your project, whether they're compliance and control related or ability to really implement on the timeline or cost constraints. Knowing is power. And unfortunately, you know, people will try their best to do Herculean activities to meet goals. But if they're not going to meet the goal or if it's going to grind the team and the project into the ground meeting it, it's something you have to know. So managing change, again, the essential element is trust and communication to the extent that you can build that sort of multidimensionally, managing up, managing sideways, and managing down into the organization is the extent to which you'll be able to better chart your course and manage the bumps that are going to come. Because any enterprise project I've ever been involved with, and maybe your listeners will have a different experience, it never goes exactly as planned. There's always changes and slips. There's things you got to work through, and that's just the nature of the beast. Janet and I have talked about what leaders should do or not do to help their teams through change. But what does a good change effort really look like? How does that play out in reality? Janet shares a story. My last role when I was at Cisco leading employee services, which is an enterprise shared service for the company, we took on the challenge to do an operating model change with our stakeholders in human resources combined with changing out two major systems, the human capital management system, which is where all all the HR processes and employee data live, and the payroll system, which everybody knows and loves because everyone likes getting paid. So we decided to do those three things in tandem. And what was important at the beginning was getting the stakeholders to be clear about and understand not only their own carebouts, but each other's carebouts. Because if you think about our chief HR officer, what she was going for was a transformational change to her operating model and moving to a very aspirational goal for her organization to become fully consultative. And that was very important to her. And she required these system changes to make it happen. On the other end of the spectrum, we had our finance team who was most interested in the accuracy, security, reporting, and compliance that went along with all things payroll because we were looking basically at a $12 billion line item. So stock moving type of 
issue if we had reporting or mismanagement of that line at any time. Sitting in the middle was operations, who was really looking at it from a cost and a risk mitigation perspective for the technology debt that we built up in these legacy systems. And then we had our IT team. They wanted to help us reduce complexity and minimize customization, which on any major project is probably the hardest thing to do with all the stakeholder requirements. And lastly, every employee, whether a contingent worker, a full-time worker, 130,000 people, they were all impacted on this. They cared about the security of the personal information that was stored and housed in these systems. And they wanted to be paid on time and accurately, which is, you would think, a low bar. But the things that have to happen when when you're doing that in 94 countries simultaneously to make it happen are pretty significant. So the first thing was balancing all those carabouts and reminding people that we had multiple competing goals that we had to trade off as we went through this two-year journey. I think the second thing was just managing engagement and expectation. We had a funding focus and some funding challenges along the way, as often happens. There were some schedule slips that were driven by implementation and testing requirements, but also by things we learned about the platforms as we were implementing them. So throughout all of that, it came back to keeping the eyes on the prize, keeping people aligned on the outcome, why it was important not only to make this shift of our HR system to a more flexible cloud-based system of record off which we could build better capability, but the importance of being able to pay people accurately and on time every two to four weeks, depending on their pay cycle across those 94 countries. I keep coming back to that because while we were not revenue impacting per se to the company or the customer, it mattered a lot to each and every employee whose pay and pay record depended on the accuracy of our systems and our system rollout. So those three things, stakeholder care abouts, the engagement and expectation management, and then just keeping those outcomes aligned and top of mind. I love the term stakeholder carebouts, and this is the first time I'm hearing it. Janet explains how she defines the term and how it fits into managing change. What's the most important thing to them? What do they get out of it? I mean, we all assume that motherhood and apple pie having safe, compliant systems for the company is a good thing, right? We agree about that. But When we come down to a functional leader level, we care about different things. We care about those systems, those processes, and those outcomes because they allow our organization to play a different role or to protect the company from a compliance and reporting and security perspective or to reduce cost and complexity. And we care about one thing more than another. That's what I mean about competing stakeholder carebouts. It's the weight and importance of these things are not equal to each of the stakeholders. Got it. That's great. I like that term. I think I'm going to have to adapt that into my lingo. So thank you for that. Something we've talked about before is the importance of surfacing impacts. I think this can be an area some leaders struggle with. It can be hard to identify what those impacts really could be. So Janet shares her advice on how to recognize and rectify impacts that may be disrupting your team in some way. It's a huge task, and it's not one that's once and done. Unfortunately, in many of the projects I've been 
involved in prior to this one, we would take an approach that says the largest market or the market that's closest to many of our resources is the U.S. market. Therefore, we're going to look at how business and processes are done in the United States and use that as our baseline to roll out to what we refer to as rest of world. It's not a great approach because it assumes, firstly, that whatever model that we have in the United States is the most well thought out and developed model, which is not always true. And secondly, it really overlooks the complexity and nuance of the business models, the regulatory environment, and the requirements of our go-to-market outside of the U.S. So during my time in Asia, one of those things that was so important was being able to translate back to corporate teams in the U.S. how the needs and requirements might be different and how we could get to the same outcome in slightly different ways when we implemented something in Japan versus India. Australia versus Vietnam versus Greater China, for example. Sounds really obvious when I say it, but oftentimes teams would take a, you know, let's work from the center out to rest of world. And it didn't really fit the needs of the region. Janet's point reminds me of one of our eight tenets for successful change management. Our third tenet, Crafting Meaningful Messages When articulating change to anyone, you must consider their position, workload, and overall culture that they're in, then tailor the message accordingly. What shareholders need or want to hear will not be the same as the message for executives or even middle management. When working for a global company, this is even more relevant. Switching gears for a moment, I want to focus on the organization itself during a planned change. Just because an organization can go through a planned change doesn't necessarily mean they're ready for it. I want to hear Janet's thoughts on tracking metrics for a company's readiness. It's important to measure organizational readiness. It's not always easy to do, which is, I think, why sometimes we skip past it. When we think about organizational readiness, I think there's a couple of factors for that. One is, How do people perceive the change? What do they know about it? Secondly, do they care? And that sounds harsh and dismissive, but there's a lot of changes that from a program team perspective seem really important to the program team. But to a stakeholder like the average employee, they don't really care as long as they're paid on time, right? So understanding what's important to that stakeholder is really going to be the importance of the being able to measure success. Um, And then putting measures around it. A lot of these measures are what is considered a little bit of a softer measure because you have to get at them by doing things like having town halls, doing surveys, maybe doing user groups, getting input that way. One thing that's been really effective, I've seen work in that that area for understanding readiness is having a change ambassador network. So having people from within the organizations who are affected or the regions or the populations be represented and be able to speak for their user group and advocate to their user group. That's a really good practice if you can put it in place because it allows you to tap into that input without having to speak to 
hundreds of people in a delayed and lengthy input cycle. So I think managing those impacts and being able to measure them is super important. But oftentimes what they end up looking like are satisfaction with the rollout, understanding of the rollout. I think the easiest one to measure is how many people have taken the training and that's necessary, but by no means is it sufficient. I would argue that there's also impacts you can measure that have to do with were the project goals, were they achieved and were they achieved in a timely manner? Excellent. Excellent. I appreciate you sharing that. I think we are always trying to work with helping leaders figure out how to go after some qualitative and quantitative metrics in order to be able to help illuminate where there may be some pain when the organization starts to make that transition. Although I could chat with Janet all day, I want to ask her what three pieces of advice she might give to leaders in an organization to help them not only survive, but thrive and change. Thriving is the goal um, and surviving is the table stakes. And if there are three things, the first is to listen and to be open to feedback. Simple, but essential. The second one is to keep your messages simple and to communicate often. People need to hear things multiple times and at different times to really be able to absorb what it means to them. And then the third thing, which I really should have started with, is it's so important to build and nurture these trust-based relationships. And trust comes not from one engagement, but based on a track record of interactions, of listening and delivering on commitments and um, following through. So if there are three things, it would be listening, communicating, and building these trust-based relationships. And I would also say that's not just for the teams. It also has to do with the stakeholders that you're working with to achieve the change. They have the same needs to thrive that your team does. So again, listening, communicating, and having these trust-based relationships with your stakeholders really has a huge impact on your ability to move through complex projects and to drive complex outcomes that meet everyone's needs. I love her point about leaders making a specific effort to build trust before, during, and after a change. When you put the effort into laying a strong foundation, then I believe a company can actually endure the ever-changing constant wins. So how can companies get a hold of you or individuals get a hold of you if they have more questions or maybe want to learn more about your company and and what you do? What's a great way to get a hold of you? The way most people find us is on LinkedIn. We do a lot of work through LinkedIn and it's a fabulous platform. So Sourcing Change, we're on LinkedIn. We also have a website, sourcingchange.com. And you can reach out to us either of those places. We'd love to hear from you. personally. What we're seeing with the clients we're working with today is a huge uptick in dealing with the complexity of managing change and more specifically, understanding and managing their stakeholders effectively. We've talked a lot about that during this discussion, and I would say that it is something that is only becoming more complex in these times where we are remote from one another where organizations are changing, people are changing roles, and 
being able to map and manage that complexity effectively is something we see touching a lot of leaders these days. Awesome. Awesome. Before we wrap up, Janet shares some final thoughts on thriving and change. Maybe another level of depth on how we help our people thrive through change. And I would say that as as a leader of large teams and one who cares about the nurturing of our people is, I think the things that you can do to help people lean into the change and thrive have to do with about with being clear about the opportunity and career growth for those who are leading the transformation. It can sometimes feel like thankless work that's not driving the business today, but is building the business for tomorrow. So keeping people engaged and clear about what the opportunities are is super important to keep those folks motivated. Secondly, reward and recognize people publicly throughout the project. You don't wait till the end of a two-year marathon to reward people and to thank them and to call them out. You have to do it along the way to keep people feeling recognized, engaged, and motivated by the project, especially when it's long-term. And then the last one is that you're going to hit crunch times. You're going to hit difficulties. And it's so important at that time more than ever to be present. And whether that is virtually walking the floors or in a post-COVID environment, physically walking the floors and being with your teens so that they can see you, feel supported, and know that you have their back. It's so important to help people be successful through these changes. And it's something that we can all do really doesn't take that much from us, but you've got to be intentional about it. Love that. Great point. Thank you, Janet, for joining us today. And for our audience, her links will be in the show notes if you want to get in contact. Mention that you heard her on this podcast, and I'm sure she'll be very receptive to talking to you. Thank you, everyone, for listening and joining this week's episode of Survive and Thrive Podcast. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Take care.